Bibles to Psalm 11. I'll have the text up here, but uh, you might want to open up your, your Bibles or your, your apps uh, to that particular psalm. What can the righteous do? In the Lord, I take refuge. And this will be a psalm of David, okay? In the Lord, I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. Then they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. So as we read this psalm, what is, what is the theme of this psalm? Well, it's, it's a psalm of trust. Um, it is a psalm of, of confidence in the Lord, right? In verse 1, David says, In the Lord I take refuge. And then he bookends that uh, with the upright will see his face. This confidence that David has, this trust that David has in God um, will culminate in his, with his presence being with the Lord, right? We see that in Psalm 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we look at this psalm, uh, I guess kind of the main point that I want you to get is this, is that the righteous confidently find refuge in God when evil rises. The righteous confidently find refuge in God when evil rises. Now, the issue here, and he hits it in verse 3, what's, what's going on here? Okay, so why... Um, is David writing this psalm. And there are evil people. Evil is rising. Right? He has in verse 2, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Right? So this contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous here. And we'll see that again in just a minute. But the problem is this, is that the foundations are being destroyed. So, how are the foundations being destroyed? What does he mean by that when he says the foundations are being destroyed? Well, what he means is, is that God's law, God's word, his commandments are being attacked by the unrighteous. So this government is a, that David is the king of is a, a theocracy. Uh, David is God's vice regent. He is God's king on the earth. But as king, he is beholden to God's law, his commands. God is ultimately the king. David is ruling over God's kingdom on earth here uh, as his regent. And so David is guided not by his own desires. He's not, he's not guided by cultural, uh, whatever cultural sway is, wherever pop culture is going, the feelings and desires of the people. That's not what he's guided by. He's guided by the Word of God. So, 
as we consider foundations being destroyed and we look at our context and our culture, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised as we consider the government and pop culture uh, that it's undermining the Word of God, that it's against God, that, that policies are being put in place that are in direct contrast to biblical Christianity. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't be surprised by a culture that is against the Word of God. That shouldn't surprise us at all. We should be surprised, though, when people who claim to be men of God, uh, when various churches you know, come out with statements that are contrary to the Word of God. Uh, if your whole organization, the church, is founded on the truth of God's Word, and you begin to speak contrary to that, that should begin to raise eyebrows. And just recently, before Christmas, uh, the Pope, and this is, you know, you're out, okay, it's the Pope, whatever. The Pope put out a statement um, saying that he's okay with blessings of same-sex marriages. And, and so I read, the, I read the statement. This is a long, convoluted statement. I mean, and uh, you can find it online. I, I meant to bring a copy. I didn't bring a copy of it. If you're interested, I'll let you know where to find it. Um, but but the, the cardinal that's writing a defense of the Pope's position on this begins by giving all these, reasons, all these reasons why blessings occur in the Bible and the purpose of blessings and who can be blessed and that blessings really in the Bible are for all types of people and all types of situations. Uh, the problem is, is that blessing from God means that God says this is good, okay? And, and so that's where the, the statement really falls short. And at the end of this statement, basically the, the Catholic Church lands at the point where um, uh, priests are going to be able to, in some senses, bless uh, the relationship that two people of the same sex have when they're committed to one another. Not calling it marriage, not in the church, not with the typical liturgy and the music that goes with it, but that on a private basis, the priest could actually bless uh, a same-sex union. Okay, so you might say, well, that's the Catholic Church. What does that have to do with us? Well, here's the thing. The church at large is, looks at what the Catholic Church does, okay? Protestants, believe it or not, say, oh, well, the Catholic Church, we may not agree with them on certain things, um, but other things we really agree with them, right? Abortion would be one of them. And it used to be, you know, the sanctity of marriage was another, but now that's, the foundation of that is being eroded. And so, whether we like it or not, uh, the church at large in Western civilization is going to look at what the Catholic Church is doing and kind of take that as a cue. And we'll see that happen over the next uh, few years or so. But even within, yes? No, he's no, he's so he's he's saying that marriage is between a man and a woman. Okay. Marriage, as 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 defined, um, in the Catholic Church, is between a man and a woman. Okay. But they're saying it's okay to bless same-sex relationships. So, in saying it's okay to bless same-sex relationships, they're not calling it sin. Does that make sense? If you're going to bless something, it's good. Okay. It's good. All right. So. The problem is, is that they're saying uh, something is good 
that the Bible calls sin. Okay, and the other foundation that's being destroyed there is that people are saying, well, that's not really what the Bible said. You know, really, for 2,000 years, the church has had it wrong. They really didn't understand what Paul was saying when he wrote what he wrote in Romans chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So the foundation is being eroded, and it's been eroded. I mean, we've seen this in the American church. We've seen this in different places, but this also has risen uh, in recently. The problem has arisen uh, in a very big church north of it in Atlanta. So this is a quote from the pastor of the church. I stopped using specific language. I quit saying the Bible says, the Bible teaches, the Word of God says, the Word of God teaches. This was not a change in belief or theology for me. This was simply a change in approach to talking about the Bible. For the first 350 years of Christianity, no preacher or teacher said the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. There was no such thing as the Bible Obviously, there was Scripture, but they did not, especially in the first century, build the Christian faith on the back of a text. Oh, what do we we build it on? On what do we build our faith? Faith converges on facts. And when you read the writings of the New Testament authors, they're constantly quoting the Old Testament to support what they're saying and why they're saying it. Nobody could read, nobody owned one. What drove the first century Christians was an event, right? And so this particular uh, pastor is very, and the resurrection is the center of her faith. Don't get me wrong, okay? But if you begin to undercut the Bible in other places, you begin to undercut the historicity of, of the resurrection event. Continues. If you will organize around reaching the next generation and not keep keeping the current one, if you'll organize around, budget around, build around, preach, teach, sing around, reaching the next generation instead of keeping the current one, your church will be better. So forget about the people that God's given you. Forget about those who are clinging to the Scriptures because they're artifacts. You need to push on to reach the next generation. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't reach the next generation. I'm not saying we shouldn't contextualize. I'm not saying we, need, we shouldn't understand generational differences. Like, I need to understand Generation Z better. Like this obsession with carrying around water all the time. <laughs> Containers that I have to clean, that if you drop on your toe, you will fracture. <laughs> so we need to understand the... the, the the culture that we're in. We have to. We have to be able to contextualize the gospel. We don't change the gospel. We don't compromise the word of God. We don't forsake the flock that God's given us or spurn them so that we can somehow seem relevant. Because that's what's pushing uh, this doctrinal shift is wanting to remain relevant in, 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 a, in a context where the, the cultural tide is just pushing so hard. The time has come for us to step back into a more sure footing and I think a firmer foundation and to build our case for our, congrega- for our congregations in this generation, millennials, on the event of the resurrection and not the authenticity or infallibility of a text. And it's not because I don't think the Scripture is infallible. Now, he's, he's double-speaking there, okay? Oops, excuse me. 
I didn't move you guys forward. You didn't get, you didn't get to read that, okay? So, um, let me read that again since you have it up there. The time has come for us to step back into a more sure footing and I think a firmer foundation and to build our case for our congregations in this generation, millennials, on the event of the resurrection and not the authenticity or infallibility of a text. And it's not because I don't think the Scripture's infallible. Now, I don't know any of us who, who, when we're having a conversation with somebody and we're trying to explain to them the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and their great need for Jesus Christ, God loves them and has loved them through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we sit there and argue about the infallibility of God's Word. I didn't, I didn't have the, the quote up here, but in past couple of years, Andy Stanley, who has made all these statements, pastor of North Point Church, said we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. There's too much baggage with the Old Testament to try to reach this generation because somehow we can't make sense of what God did in the Old Testament in such a way that makes Christianity appealing to them. There's all types of things wrong with that type of theology. And so when we consider statements like this, right, we see this foundation being eroded. Did God really say? And that's what's happening here. Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Because anytime you begin to question what God's Word says, whether or not it's true, I'm not, trying, I'm not saying don't, we should try to understand that. Everything's equally understandable. Some things are difficult. Why did God do this at this time and that way? I mean, some, some things are difficult. But on the whole, I teach the perspicuity of Scripture that all that we need for salvation, about knowing our knowledge of God, us, sin, Christ, our response of repentance and faith, it's clear in the Scriptures. Now certainly much of the hullabaloo that's going on involves the issue of same-sex marriage. LGBTQ agenda, okay? So, again, I, I hesitated to bring up his name. I just want to just put the... But here's the thing. Scripture is clear that people are supposed to be marked out, okay? And, and as a pastor, you may not agree with me, it's my, it's my responsibility to point things out if you're not aware of them. And so, beginning of the beginning of this year, I, you know, I've, been, I've been mulling over this and thinking through as a church, you know, where do we, you know, what do we need to focus on? And I think what I want us to focus on is confidence in the Word of God that is the final rule and authority for our lives. That we have to have confidence in that, not begin to question it or begin to unhitch from 39 books of the Bible. So we see this um, erosion of the foundation. Did God really say... Right? And then God created man in his own image. Mankind is an image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. That's another point of erosion. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. This undermines everything about same-sex unions. Okay, I'm not saying that there are, obviously there are some hermeneutical issues that, that have to be given account, be fruitful and increase in number. God's speaking to Adam and Eve. They're trying to populate the earth. 
Should we give consideration to how many, how many children we have? Yeah, I think it's something we need to think about. Okay. So there's, there's this erosion of what God said. And we began to question, did God really say that? And, and you might be thinking, I'm being a little bit hard on Andy Stanley. These are tweets. Uh, this guy, Ryan Viscotti, was in a was in a meeting with Andy Stanley. These are direct statements from what Andy Stanley said. He said, homosexuality is really a disability, using the analogy that telling, a gay, that telling gay people that they have to stop being gay to follow Christ is like taking a wheelchair away from a guy who can't walk. Now, we've had people who are gay come into our congregation and, and be here with us for weeks at a time. I know that for a fact. We welcome everybody. If somebody comes in and they're, and they're gay or homosexual, my priority is not to see them be straight or heterosexual. My desire is for them to know the love of God and to know salvation through Jesus Christ alone. That's what I want for everybody. We've had a transgender person come in here and sit down through, through both services. We welcome everybody, but we're not going to compromise what we believe about the truth. And so, you know, this statement right here, there's all kinds of things wrong with, you know, that, that being gay is a disability, that it's something you can't help. I, I'm sorry, I, I was born with this desire to look at other women and, and have relationships with other women. I just, that's just the way I feel. That's, that's what I, I desire. I can't get past that. I'm just that way. And so I can't, for you to expect me to be faithful to my wife, that's really beyond what you can expect of me because I really, so how does that sound? I can't help it. It's a disability. That's what's being stated. More tweets. Andy Stanley, I don't, go, I don't do gay weddings, but I can't say I would never do a gay wedding. If my granddaughter asked me someday, maybe I would. Next, next tweet. We need to make room for gay men who choose to be married to each other in our churches because that's as close as they can get to New Testament framework of marriage. And then lastly, I believe in gay people. Some people are gay. They can't change. That's the beauty of 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you, okay? And so I bring all this up to say that that the challenge that we face as a church is erosion from the inside, and it's been that way since the beginning of the church. This is nothing new, right? I can't say, oh, we're in a time like we have never seen something like this before. We are are in a crisis in our culture, and I don't know how the church is going to get through this. Now, since the beginning, the church has faced opposition and the church has faced false teachers who want to, uh, who want to attack pure doctrine, right? The book of Jude is, 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 that's what the book of Jude is. I want you to condemn earnestly for the faith that was once entrusted to God's holy people. Now, if you want to reduce, if you want to be so reductionistic to say he's only talking about God, man, Christ's response, that it's just the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jude is talking about here, then you're way off the mark. There is a faith that's been handed down once to the saints. The faith is God's word in tote, 66 books. And to do this, I don't, I don't have it here, but I don't think I put it all here. Let me see if I did. 
Now, if you, if you read the entirety of Jude, okay, Jude is, is saying he, we need to defend the faith once given to God's people, and he talks about the false teachers there, and then he goes and says, their punishment will be like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because what's going on here is the false teachers are seeing sexual immorality, and they're not saying anything about it. They're okay with it. They're turning a blind eye to it. It's okay. And here's the thing in the culture we're in now. Right now, it's, it's all this double speak. It's like speaking in such general vagueness that nobody can pin you down. So if somebody comes and says, asks you a question, there's always plausible deniability because, no, that's not really what I said. You didn't really understand what I said. But, but back to this, this point here. In Jude, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Romans, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those. Literally, mark them out. Put a mark on them so you can follow them around. That's the idea. You keep a close eye on them. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds. And this is it of naive people. And, and this, is, this is the problem. The, the level of theological instruction is, is so minimalistic in our churches. So people are, are carried away by somebody who looks good, sounds good, has good programs. Smooth talk and flattery. They deceive people. So the problem is from within. And that's what David was facing, right? He was facing a problem from within. Evil was rising up, questioning the word of God, ignoring the word of God, maybe in direct rebellion to the word of God. The foundations were being destroyed. So, so how should Christians respond to such rapid societal, political, judicial decline in our country? How should we respond around to those around us who spurn... Uh, God's law of love should be the in there. God's law of love. How do we respond when prominent pastors undermine the authority of God's word in favor of cultural shifts? And that's the issue. I want culture to like me. I want to stay relevant to the culture around me. And if I take a hard stance on this issue, then people aren't going to listen to me. So theologically, you just throw the sovereignty of God out the window. You stand on truth, and you let God take care of the rest. If they're not going to listen, they're not going to listen. If they're blind in sin, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, if their minds have been darkened, and they're not going to understand apart from God removing those blinders, you're somehow going to change their mind by being culturally relevant and being a, a chameleon? I don't think so. Our job is to stand on the truth. And to do that, we need to, to pray and live with confidence. That's the first point. I'm going to move through this really quickly. 
We're going to pray and live with confidence, right? Because God is still on his throne. God is still ruling and reigning. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. History is still God's story. He's still working. He's not surprised by what's going on. And he's still listening. And he still expects us to pray and ask him to change what's going on in our churches, in our church, in churches, and even the culture around us. Because we're, we're called to pray for leaders, people in authority. The first thing we should do is pray. If you're going to criticize, if I'm going to stand up here and criticize from the pulpit, what I see is wrong according to the Word of God, then I better be praying about the situation, praying for Andy Stanley, praying for our church, and praying for the church at large. And remember that God is listening. He is on His throne. He is still in charge. And as we do that, we can live confidently, knowing that God is watching over us. We also need to live righteously. We need to live righteously. If, if we're like the world, people aren't going to see any difference. If you're living just like the world, there's, going to be, there's, there's no contrast between the light and the darkness. Oh, so-and-so, they go to church regularly? They're a Christian? Really? So what do you think about such and such topic? I, I don't know. You're afraid to take a stand for what God's Word says because you might look bad at work or with your friends with your family. Verse 5 says, the Lord examines the righteous. That word examines means proves, tests. Is this real? Is this one legitimate? The Lord is watching over us. Are we going to hold fast to the Word of God or are we going to acquiesce to the spirit of the age and compromise what we believe? And it's so easy to do now, right? That's your interpretation. Did we really understand what Paul meant when he wrote Romans chapter 1? When he said unnatural, he really meant that there are some men who are born with a proclivity towards same-sex attraction, and for them to go against that would be unnatural. I think I lost. So there needs to be a contrast because the Lord is watching, the Lord is examining the righteous. And then he makes this incredible statement here. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Now that's a tough one to swallow. That's probably one of the reasons Andy Stanley wants to unhitch himself from the Old Testament, because how do you work through that with somebody? Well, you have to put your theological thinking cap on, and work through the character of God and all that He is, His justice and His holiness and His righteousness. And yes, His love, right? The thing is, love doesn't operate in a vacuum. Love operates according to truth. Is it okay to love somebody who destroys everything that is beautiful and holy? I think it's right for God to be opposed to those things that destroy the beauty of His creation. And so God says, I hate those with a passion. Now how God can send his son to die on the cross for sinners and rebels like us, I have, I mean, it's just amazing. I'm overwhelmed 
with the love of God, but he does that. I'll let God work out his character. I don't need to defend what he says in his word other than to say this is, this is what truth is. We need to trust in God's justice, right? As we consider what's going on in the world around us, it really gets upsetting, right? We want something done, right? I want to I put the right tweet out there. I want to put the right post out there that's going to put these people in their place and show them that they're wrong for talking about us this way. They have no idea what's going on ahead, and yet they just assume that I'm a homophobic bigot and I'm a Trump voter. That's what they say, right? Some kind of crazy, and I want to get back at them. How much good is that going to do? Like, really? Is that going to do any good? If you want to tweet out the, the love of Christ through the gospel and how grateful you are that God would save such a wretched sinner like you, that's great. But as we wait in the in-between, right, we're these people of the already not yet. Like, we're waiting for the return of Christ Longing for his return, longing for his kingdom, longing for justice to reign. And we have to wait for that. But here he gives a clear picture of God's justice. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. What's his mind going back to there in verse 6? Sodom and Gomorrah. For the Lord is righteous. His ways are always right. His ways are always according to the perfection of the beauty that is is God. The Lord is always righteous, and he loves justice. His justice cannot be denied. He always has to respond negatively to sin according to his justice. He can't deny that. But because of his love, his justice was meted out. His justice was worked out on Jesus Christ on the all of our unrighteous deeds deserved this fire, the fiery coals and the burning sulfur. That's what we deserved. You and I deserved. But God could not deny his righteousness, his justice. And so justice was worked out on the cross as the righteous Savior, Jesus Christ, took our unrighteousness and God punished the righteous Son of God. So justice was worked out. That's the message we need to focus on. But friends, if you begin to undermine other parts of God's word, you begin to undermine that message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we wait for God's justice to be worked out. We need to have a longing for heaven. A longing for heaven, right? The upright will see his face. As we set our minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth, When Christ is our life, when we wait for that moment when Christ is revealed and we will be revealed with him also, as we long for that moment, it will affect the way that we live. That longing for heaven should increase the desire that we have within us to tell others about Jesus Christ, the hope that they can have in Christ. So the upright will see his face. So what... What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? We need to to pray and live confidently. We need to live righteously. We need to let God work His justice out, and we need to look forward to His return when justice will be realized fully. So I I understand that... um, 
When I begin naming names and quoting quotes, it, kind of, it can kind of be a little bit frictional there. But I think that um, my job as a pastor is to, to warn you, okay, this is where we're going. This is where our society is going. But be confident, even though the foundations are being eroded in the church. As long as you stand on the Word of God, as long as you are with a body of believers that stand on the Word of God, God's Word says the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church and God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your Word, the foundation that it is for our lives. Father, I pray uh, that you would draw us into your Word, that we would love your Word, that we would be confident in your Word, that we wouldn't be ashamed of your Word. Help us to know your word in such a way that we can lovingly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need to hear it. We ask this in Jesus' name.